So uh, let's go ahead and stand together. I'll read this to you guys. Follow along with me. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to knock out 12 verses. And if you've been to Genoa Students on a Sunday or a Saturday whenever we do our services, you know that uh, we, we typically do book studies here and we go through a book in the Bible. And really the whole point is when we read our scripture at the beginning is that if you come to every week that we're doing First Peter, you will have heard the whole book of First Peter read out loud. So it's kind of cool, right? So at the end of this, you can say, I've read First Peter, I've read James, I've read Amos, and I've read half of Mark, which is what we've been doing, okay? So here we go. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept, kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstance the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for every student that is here. Thank you for every adult that's here. Like I always say, I don't think that anybody is here by accident. And God, I just pray that, uh, that during this next couple of moments, these next couple of moments that we get to just dive into your word, Lord, make it real to us. Make it true to us. Make it applicable to our lives. Make it that we can see how this applies to our lives, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right, so let me, let me start by asking you a quick question, and that is, what are some of the things that remind you of home? What's something that reminds you of home? So maybe you're out of town, right, and something happens, and you go, oh, that reminds me of home. Any, what do you think? Okay, cool. So like a dog, a dog reminds you of home. That's great. What else? Anybody else? Something that reminds you of home. You guys don't like home? Okay, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right, what is it? What's that? Okay, churches remind you of home. I like it. When I was younger, um, I've told you guys before many times that I grew up on an Air Force base in England, and when I lived there, all these bases in England, there was many different ones, they all had pine trees on them. And so um, whenever I smell pine trees, and like in, in, even in Ohio here, I'll smell them, like we put our Christmas tree up, and I smelled the pine, and I was like, and it just took me back to my childhood, made me think of home when I was a kid. And so it's funny, like you can hear a song, you got one? Palm tree. Oh, yeah, you're from California, right? So when she sees a palm tree, she's like, oh, home. So aren't you glad that you gave up palm trees for cold weather and leafless trees here in Ohio? Yeah, 
Oh, so depressing. Anyways, these are the months that my wife really struggles. She's like, I need, I need sun. I need something to keep me sane. But anyways, um, so yeah, w- the reason I bring this up is because I want to I talk to you guys about our new theme for uh, the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure how long the series will last, probably eight or nine weeks. But our, our, our series is called Not Our Home, and it's encouragement from First Peter. If you read the book of First Peter, which is what we just started here, um, you'll see that there are words of encouragement in this book to the believers. And the thing about this, what's funny about this book is that First Peter is, um, like, there's a lot packed into this. In fact, I never encourage you guys to just hear me preach on First Peter and that's it. I, I'd love for you guys to, like, reread what I talk about after this. The, the disadvantage of preaching a sermon to you guys on Sunday mornings is that I only get about 30-something minutes to preach to you, and it's impossible to cover everything that happens in this first chapter. So I would encourage you to keep reading it, uh, dive into it, see what God is saying. But uh, the parts that we're going to pull out today are parts of encouragement because these guys are going, Christians in this time are going through some pretty terrible times. They, they are displaced all over, and they're not, they, they feel like they're not in their home. And if you guys have, have anybody here ever felt homesick before? Has he ever felt homesick? Yeah. Homesick is a terrible, being homesick is a terrible feeling. I hate it. When I went to college, my first week I was there, I felt really homesick. I was like, man, I miss my family. Never thought I'd say that. Wow. When I moved to Pennsylvania a couple years ago, I, uh, I took a job there as the worship pastor, and I was there for nine months. Anybody here from Pennsylvania? Okay, great, because I'm going to talk junk about it, all right? I don't like the state, okay? I don't like the state of Pennsylvania, when I lived there, it was, it's like this barren wasteland of nothingness. And, and it's always cold. Everybody there, I feel like, is in a bad mood, all right? And so I go up there. We're living there. And I get there in the first week. And my wife, we, we had her stay back until we could sell the house and stuff. So I get there. And on the first day that I'm there, I told the pastor that I was going to be working with, I said, I need to find a place to live. And he goes, that's fine. I'll help you find a place. And I said, okay, great. Because uh, I said, I have Thursday and Friday. I got there on Thursday. I said, Monday, I start my new job. So I got to find a house Thursday or Friday. So Thursday is, I get there on a Thursday morning. And I get there and he's like, okay, cool. I unload all my stuff into the church, right? Because I had no place to put it yet. I hadn't found a place. So in the attic of the church, I had unloaded my whole trailer of stuff that we were bringing, right? And uh, I looked at him. I said, pastor, listen, can we go find me an apartment? And he said, well, the first thing we need to do is um, I need your help building a stage design. It was, it was near Christmas time. He was like, we're going to build this massive um, present on stage, and you get to help me build it. And I was like, uh, okay, well, I need to find a place to live. And he was like, we'll, we'll have time. Don't worry. I said, all right. So I, I begin to build this place. We, we build the thing and everything. And then by the time, time just flies. And then I notice it's 6 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, man, there's no way I'm going to find a place today. I said, good news, I'll find it tomorrow. Well, I checked my email, and I'd gotten an email that said, from the bank that I was going to be working at full-time, they said, hey, we're excited for you to start tomorrow. And I said, wait a minute, I thought I was starting Monday. Well, come to find out I was starting Friday. So now I couldn't find a place on Thursday, definitely not finding a place on Friday, which means I didn't have a place to stay Saturday or Sunday. And I'm starting to freak out at this point. And uh, my wife called. She's like, did you find a place yet? And I said, no, he had me build this present on stage. She was so mad. And I was like, I'll call you back later. So uh, Friday goes by, and Friday, just to make it even worse, my heater in my car had gone out, and this was the middle of winter in Pennsylvania, and I had an hour drive to get to the training center, and so I had to bring this big blanket with me to, to like, <laughs> I'm like freezing all the way there, um, and it was just horrible, right? So I get back to the church where all my stuff is, and I go up to the attic, and I just sit down, and I was like, I don't even know where I'm going to stay, and the night before, I'd stayed at my friend Chris's house, but I didn't want to stay there again because I was sleeping on the couch in his house, and um, he had this big dog that would come in and, like, lick my face while I'm sleeping. 
And guys, I don't like dogs, okay? I don't like being licked by animals, all right? So it's like when it was licking me, I was like, get away. And then in the morning, I go into the bathroom, and the same dog that had licked my face had taken a big old dump in the, in the, the shower there. So I was like, I'm not going to take a shower in this place. This dog took a dump in here. And so I go, and I tell my friend's wife, I said, hey, your dog uh, used the bathroom in the shower. And she goes, oh, here's, here's some stuff to clean it up. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not cleaning up your dog's doo-doo. Like, this is not going to happen, right? So anyways, things are, things are terrible. And then on this last, on this Friday night, I go up to the church. I go into the attic. I sit down. I'm looking at all my stuff. And, and guys, I'm starting to lose my mind. And, and if you don't know me, I don't, I don't break real easily. Like, I'm pretty resilient, I feel like. Well, my cat had been up there, and I had this cat that I brought with me. And the cat, his name was Midnight, walked up, just sat on my lap and, like, looked up at me. And, guys, I don't know what it was, but it, rem- it made me so homesick where I was just like, and I, like, started to tear up a little bit, right? And then Brittany called, and she was like, hey, how's it going? And I broke down on the phone. And I was like, and I never cry unless I'm watching Braveheart, okay, which is a great movie. But, but anyway, so I'm, like, I- I'm tearing up, and I'm crying, and she goes, something's wrong. You never cry. And what it was is I felt, I was just like, this isn't my home. Like, I'm not, I'm out of place here. And the Christians that we're going to talk about, this is the exact same situation that these guys were going through, just 50 times worse. They were, they felt that they were in a place that was not their home. They were facing persecution. Things were not going well for the Christians. And Peter took it upon himself. He says, okay, I need to show you guys that this is not your home, but that's okay. I'm going to give you some encouragement. So what I want to do first before we dive into a couple of these verses is I want to talk about the historical background of this, okay? Has anybody here ever heard of Emperor Nero from Rome? Anybody ever heard of Nero before? Mm-hmm. Was, was, you did a project on him? Okay, you shouldn't have told me that, man, because now I'm going to be expecting you to know all these answers, all right? But Nero is, uh, was he a good guy or not? He was terrible. He was awful, Okay. Oh, <laughs> I've never. Oh man, no. did you hear what he said? He said he reverse abortioned his mother. I've never heard that term before. Okay, all right. Anyways, um, essentially he killed his mom is what you're saying. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't. That was not in my notes here. Okay, but let me tell you some of the things that Nero did that was not so good. Okay, besides that, number one, Nero. Um, he he was a very prideful guy. He considered himself this, this superior artist. And so what he would do is he loved statues and he loved these like um, the, the, these just mass uh, things of art posted all over Rome. And what he would do is he actually had a, um, a, a 100-foot statue of himself made that was put outside Rome. Talk about cocky, huh? He was like, yes, look at this. It's marvelous looking at himself. So Nero, he was very prideful. He considered himself an artist. But the craziest thing about Nero is this is actually what he was known for is the rumors that Nero started the great fire that happened in Rome. And I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but at one point Rome, pretty much all of Rome was in, was, was in flames. And Nero, it come to find out that Nero is believed to have been the one who started this fire. And, and here's why. He had, this, he had a nice palace, everything was great, but he wanted his palace to be bigger, but the common folk lived outside the palace, and they were in his way, all right? So he lit the whole place on fire. He started it in some of these, these shops, and then just the whole place was burning. So, so he started the fire, and as if that wasn't bad enough, the legend goes that he was on top of his palace looking over the burning Rome and singing a song like he was happy. He was like, la dee dee doo dee like singing, right? I mean, the dude's nuts, Okay. What's crazy is that he, finally people, people, I mean, obviously, Rome is in flames, and they're very upset about this, and they said, who's responsible? And word gets out that, that Nero might have been the one who'd started this fire, 
So Nero came up with this lie. He blamed the fire on somebody else. Do you know who he blamed for starting the fire? Who's that? Did you say something, Mina? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I, thought, I, thought I saw you mouth something. What is it? The Christians. Yeah, I thought I saw you say that. I was like, very impressive, right? Yeah, the Christians, all right? The Christians, he blamed them. He says, guys, don't be mad at me. Be mad at the Christians. There's the one who started this. So at this point, a great persecution breaks out against Christianity. If you believe in Jesus, chances are you could be killed for your faith. It was a terrible time to be a Christian in terms of your life. Um, come to find out later that um, uh, Nero actually reversed abortion himself. He killed himself later, okay? He, uh, he commits suicide later, and um, it had come to find out that everybody in Rome kind of turned on Nero, and they were just like, they were going to, the whole Senate turned against him. And so Nero, I guess, just did it himself. So he, he died. All right, so let's move on. Let's, let's talk about happier things, all right? So, so the, again, the reason I bring that up is because it's important to know the state of Christianity at this time of the writing of this letter. During this time, Christians needed encouragement. You ever been through a tough time before where you're just like, man, I just need a good word from somebody? And this is exactly what Peter saw. He goes, you know what? These people need to hear, all right? So we know about Peter. We talked about him a little bit last week. But Peter, remember, he was the guy who, uh, it, what's the worst thing Peter did? Do you guys remember? What's the worst thing he did? It was in the Gospels when Jesus was being crucified. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, he denied Jesus three times, all right? So think about this. Jesus in his worst time is being crucified on the cross, and Peter acts like he doesn't even know him. Three separate times, not just once, not just twice, but three times. So Peter, um, I love Peter because Peter, when compared to Paul, Peter's kind of like the average everyday kind of guy. Like, like Peter's the kind of guy that uh, he's, he's the, the Joe Schmo, the normal guy. Then you've got Paul who's like the scholar, right? So, so think, like today you could say Peter or uh, Paul would be like the college professor. Peter would be the plumber, right? But he's the plumber that everybody loves. You're like, dude, I love that guy, right? And, and, and Peter's cool because he makes mistakes. He does a bunch of stupid stuff. Remember, he cut that dude's ear off when they were trying to arrest Jesus, and he was just like, and Jesus is like, calm down, Peter, calm down. And so, so Peter, I, I love talking about Peter because I relate to Peter a lot. I feel like I say dumb stuff a lot. I feel like I do things. But Peter, um, so, so Peter was actually in a really good place to send this letter because he's like, guys, I've, I've been through it. I've made mistakes. I've done it, right? Because what I think, I think the main reason that he wanted to write this letter was, um, was because I think, the Christian, I think he heard that some of these Christians might have been mad at God. So let me ask you a personal question here. Have you ever been through a really tough time that you've questioned whether or not God loves you or not? All right? If it, if it hasn't happened, it will. Adults, I know that you guys are with me on this, right? Um, at some point in your life, there will be a time where you go through something, if you haven't yet, where you will look up to the sky and just say, God, why, are you, why, why is this happening? Like, why are you letting this happen? And so the question I think that Peter wanted to address is, can you worship a God who lets you go through tough times? Okay? Can you worship a God who lets you go through tough times? There, there's actually a lot of atheists who will debate Christians on this, and they'll use this as an argument to say that there is no God. They'll say, if God truly is loving, if he's truly a loving, loving God who cares about you, why would he let you go through these tough times? And they think that it actually disproves God. Peter and all these other guys actually say the contrary. They actually say this, which is my main point today, is that trials actually mean something, okay? Trials mean something. You ever been through a tough time before where you just go, man, that was just dumb luck. Man, I can't believe that happened to me. Or, man, I can't believe this is happening. It must have been an accident, right? Well, what, what we're trying to say is in this book that you'll see, 
is that, especially this first chapter here, is Peter is saying, guys, listen, yeah, you're going through tough times. Think about this. They're being persecuted. They're being killed for their faith. And imagine, you know, these guys probably had friends who were murdered, right, that were Christians. They probably had family members who were murdered. And these are really tough times. But Peter is saying, listen, even though you're going through tough times, trust me when I say this, what you're going through means something. There's a reason for it. We might not know that reason while we're here on earth, but just know that God is trying to develop you when he lets you go through trials. So, so my, my hope for you guys in here, if, if anybody in here has been through a tough time, and maybe, maybe you're going through this right now where you're going through a really tough time and you're, have, you're, you're blaming God, let me just say this. It's not, I, in my personal opinion, it's not wrong to question God, okay? It's not wrong to say, God, why is this happening? I don't even think it's wrong to be upset with God at first, especially initially. If you read the book of Psalms, uh, uh, David over and over again is, He's like a roller coaster of emotion, isn't he? Super emo. He's like, he loves God, then he's really mad at God, then he loves God, then he's scared at other things. God, how could you let this happen to me, right? The, the thing is, you don't want to be bitter with God, okay? You don't want to be bitter with God. So here's what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about three things that trials do, okay? We as Christians, we see things differently, okay? And we're going to talk about this in my first point, but we see things differently, which means we need to see trials differently, okay? So I'm going to give you these three things, three things that trials do. So let's go ahead and dive into the first point here. Let's reread verse 7. So if you still got your Bibles open, let's look at verse 7. We're going to skip forward a couple of verses. I'm sorry, let's go to verse 6 first, and then we'll read 7. All right, here it is. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith which is more valuable than gold, um, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in the glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you. So that verse there, this tells us that um, essentially he's saying a couple things here. I, I love that he says, rejoice in this. You guys remember, we did a series on James back in, a couple months ago. Well, I can't remember when it was, but in James 1, do you remember James 1? It says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of various kinds. Isn't it weird to think that when something bad happens to you, we as Christians are supposed to say, yeah, I'm considering this joyful. Woohoo! yeah, things are bad. Love it, right? No, no, no. The whole point is that these guys, James, Peter, they want you guys to realize that, hey, listen, we need to see trials differently because we see that trials actually serve a purpose. These are not random things that happen by accident. These are not things that, that just kind of just happen, right? God is trying to develop you and build you in some way. This is why we as Christians have to see trials differently. Non-Christians see trials as just, ah, just dumb luck. Something bad happened to me. Christians see it as, what is God trying to teach me right now? What is God, how is God trying to build me? All right? You guys ever seen the best dang band in the land, which is Ohio State's marching band? Notice I've filtered it there a little bit for church. But, <laughs> but the best darn band in the land, these guys, they really are one of the best bands in the land. If you've ever seen the marching band, um, when you go to see an Ohio State football game, it's really cool to see them. But man, seeing the marching band at halftime is really awesome too. And you'll see these guys that originally, they, they, they like march all together and it's really cool. Uh, let me ask you a question. Anybody know who originally did Script Ohio? First, what was the first team to do Script Ohio? No? Close. Who was it? It was Michigan. Did you know that? Yeah, Michigan, right? Michigan came to Ohio State. They did the Script Ohio where they spell out Ohio. And then Ohio State was like, wow, that's nice. We're going to do it and we're going to do it better. And now we do it, which is awesome. So... But, uh, but anyways, if you see the marching band when they march, you'll always see there's a conductor who's conducting at the top. Imagine you see everybody marching, and you look, and there's one dude in the middle who everybody's marching in step, but you look at him, and he's, like, doing his own thing, right? He's, like, dancing over there, and you go, what's going on with that guy? And then you zoom in, and you realize he's got headphones in, and he's actually dancing to, like, 
Believer by Imagine Dragons or something. He's like, yeah, mm, mm, and he's dancing. And you go, man, that dude's dancing to a different beat. And to everybody watching it, they think that he looks odd and he looks weird, isn't it? And this is exactly what it is for us Christians. People should look at us marching to a different beat, to the beat of God, and they should say, there's something different about this guy. There's something different. And this is, this is, one, of the first, this is one of the main different things about Christianity is that we see trials differently, okay? It means we react differently. It means that we don't see them as accidents. We realize that God is doing something. And I love here that, that Peter, if you look at verse 7 again, he says, uh, more valuable than gold, which is though perishable, it's refined by fire. Essentially, he's saying the faith that will grow from these trials is more valuable than gold. Anybody ever heard the term the gold standard? You ever heard that before? The gold standard means it's the top of the best. It's the best of the best, right? And he's saying, listen, back in these days, gold was the most valuable thing. So think about what that means here. When he's saying, hey, uh, your faith that can be produced from these hard times, it's more valuable than gold. I mean, this is a big, big thing, right? Um, and, and I was going to tell you two more things about Nero real quick. Later on in the book of 1 Peter, when we're talking about these trials, oh, I've got to give you point number one, all right? <laughs> point number one is that trials bring about godly results. Sorry about that, guys. Godly results. Trials bring about godly results. They, they happen for a reason. They are supposed to bring about character in you. It makes you a better Christian, right? Um, in fact, uh, later on in this, in this uh, epistle here, he says, he tells them, um, he says, guys, you're going to face fiery trials. Now, when he says fiery trials, think about the context of what Christians were going through back in these days. This could have been a very literal statement. Let me tell you two things that Nero did that was even more jacked up than what I said earlier, okay? Nero would skin animals. He would bring Christians in, and he would wrap the skin of the animals around the Christians, and he would throw them into the Colosseum, and wild animals would then tear Christians apart, thinking they were wounded animals. That's nuts, isn't it? So Christians, now this is a lot different than just getting shot in the head for what you believe. These guys were ripped and shredded to pieces for what they believed, all right? So that's pretty messed up, right? Also, fun fact about Nero is Nero loved to have parties. He would invite all his buddies over. They'd have these parties. Well, back in these days, if you had a party at night, there was no electricity. So what, what did he do to light the place? Is he would set posts all over the city, and he would put Christians on these posts, and he would burn Christians alive, and they would light his parties, his late-night parties. I mean, that's nuts. So think about this. When Peter says, you guys met, you might face fiery challenges, that could have been a very literal thing, couldn't it? Like, these guys are being burned at the stake for what they believed. But guys, remember this. Christianity spreads most when people are willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of God. There's a reason that Christianity spreads in countries that oppose God more than they do in America. Do you guys think Christianity in the United States is spreading? No. 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 Christianity in the States is not spreading, okay? People, more and more people might claim to be Christians in the United States, but true Christianity is not spreading. And you know why? It's too easy to be a Christian. People are just like, eh, okay, yeah, anybody said that can say they're a Christian. If you said that you were a Christian back in these days, you literally were burned at the stake, ripped to peace by animals, thrown in prison, killed, your family was killed. Like, I mean, if you said that you were a Christian, you really meant it. This is why in Iran, Iraq, uh, China, like all these different places that oppose Christianity so much, it's spreading like wildfire. Is because people are seeing, even though these guys are going through trials, the godly results are that people are looking at them and they're saying, these guys are willing to sacrifice themselves for this Jesus guy? They must, okay, they must be onto something, right? So, 
So just remember, guys, that when, you go, when, when, when trials come your way, I'm pretty confident that nobody here is going to be wrapped in animal skins and thrown into a coliseum. Thank the Lord. I'm pretty sure that nobody in here is going to be thrown on a stake and burned alive. But guys, whatever trials do come your way, just realize that God is doing something. He's at work, okay? So that's point number one, okay? Point number one is that trials bring about godly results. Let's look at point number two. Let me read you verse eight, and then I'll give you the point. Verse eight says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though seeing him, though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's point number two, ready? Trials can make God seem absent, okay? Now notice that I notice these two key words here, can and seem. Trials can make God seem absent. Is God absent in your life when you're going through tough times? No. But I, I think God purposely does this because I think he wants us to step out in faith and trust him, okay? And, and I'll tell you, a lot of non-Christians, they, they'll, they'll say this, uh, this, is, this is the hardest thing about, about believing in God is you can't see God with your eyes. You can really, you can only see kind of the effects of God, right? And it's really hard for people who need to see step-by-step -step process of something to know that it's real to not see God and know that he's real. Well, the good news is, is Peter saw God, right? He saw Jesus Christ himself walking the earth. And so he's like telling these guys, listen, listen, it might seem like God is absent. This verse here, it says, you know, even though you don't see him, you still love him. The hardest thing about being a Christian is trusting in God even when you can't see him. It's even when you can't see him, all right? And the times that you feel that God is most absent in your life is when you're going through really tough times. Because you're like, God, where are you? We just assume that God is going to not let us go through tough times. Let me tell you something. Uh, you guys, pretty much everybody in here, I think, is a part of Generation Z. Did you know this? You are a Generation Z. Anybody know what I am? I'm a millennial, okay? Millennials were the worst, and then Gen Z came around. All right, just kidding. You guys are awesome. But let me, let me tell you about both of our generations share something in common, okay? And it is that we have been, uh, we have been fed so much prosperity and wealth, especially being in America, right? We're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. We have everything at our disposal. I was thinking about this last night. I was like, I didn't know the answer to something, so I just looked it up and I got the answer instantly. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. The information age, right? Well, we have been spoiled. We don't have to work for things anymore. Things are, it's so easy now. Everything is so easy. It used to be that if I wanted to get in touch, like my show, Sher, what's up, man? It's Sher's birthday, everybody. Tell him happy birthday real quick. All right, thank you all three of you that did that. Appreciate it. Okay, listen, I love you, Sherrod. But anyways, let's say Sherrod and, and I were going to meet at a restaurant and uh, we're getting ready to drive there and, and all of a sudden there's a change of plans. Now I can call Sherrod and say, hey, Sherrod, change of plans, I can't meet you there. And before, like if Sherrod is already in his car going to the restaurant, he could say, oh, no problem, I'll just turn around and go home. Back in the day, if Sherrod had already began, I would have no way of contacting him because we didn't have cell phones. He would get to the restaurant and just be like, what in the world? And then I'd have to look up Donato's phone number and say, is there a dude with a beard there? Uh, it's his birthday today. And then we get in touch that way, right? I mean, stuff is so easy now because we have communication is so easy, all this. But we have been, we've, we've been spoiled. This is what it is. And I'm throwing myself in this. And we've been taught that if something is difficult or hard, that it's bad. If it's hard or difficult or if it makes you uncomfortable, it's bad. Let me tell you this. Some of the most, most difficult things in life end up being some of the best things, Okay. Do you think it's easy for a lady to have a baby? No, no, no. <laughs> it's very difficult, okay? My wife has had four kids, and my wife, 
it, it's, it, and the delivery is tough, but man, it's the pregnancy up until the delivery. So, so for, for those months right before my wife gave birth, she'd be walking around like holding her back with her big old fat stomach sticking out. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's too much. Like her whole body would ache. She couldn't sleep. One night she woke up and I was like, you okay? And she goes, the baby's kicking me. It's kicking me. And it would like keep her awake, right? It's difficult, right? But, you know, I've said this before that when the delivery happens, it's this excruciating pain. But then at the end of the delivery, you hold the baby and you look and you go, oh, it was worth it, right? That uncomfortableness made it worth it, all right? Um, if you're in marriage, marriage is a great example, right? The best marriages are the marriages who have been through hard times together, right? Sometimes you fight. Sometimes you hash it out. But if you get through it, your marriage can be strong. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but it has to happen for the marriage to be good. And in the same way, God is saying, listen, listen, just because this is uncomfortable doesn't mean it's bad. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean it's bad. Let me give you an example of this. Man, this story blew my mind. I read this yesterday. It's, uh, this is a story from 2018. It said that a Florida teacher was fired for refusing to comply with the school's no-zero policy. The school administration had created a rule that even if a student failed to turn an assignment in, turn in their homework, he or she could not get a zero for the assignment. They would instead get a 50%. In short, they would get half credit for doing nothing, all right? The teacher, her name was Mrs. Torado. She wrote a note on her last day on the classroom whiteboard upon her termination that simply shared the facts with her students. She said, bye, kids. Mrs. Torado loves you and wishes you the best in life. I've been fired for refusing to give you a 50% for not handing anything in. That is crazy, isn't it? That these kids weren't turning anything in and they were still getting a 50%. So, so we got to think about what this means. So what happens if you turn in half of an assignment? Do you get 100%? What happens if you turn in the full assignment? You get 150% and now you're getting extra credit for doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? It's crazy. And the teachers, they do this. Why? Because they don't want the kids to feel upset. Do you know that back when I was a kid, if you, and I don't, maybe it's this way in your school, but back in the day when I was a kid, uh, if, I, if you get a question wrong, they would put a big red X on it. And I read an article that there are some schools that, that don't use red markers anymore because they feel it's detrimental to the kids' health. They go, mm, red is just too, it's too harsh of a, of a color. We don't want these kids feeling bad. You know what I say? Make them feel bad, all right? If you, if you don't turn an assignment, the most loving thing you can do to a kid when they don't turn in homework is give them a zero. The worst thing that you can do to a kid when they don't turn in their homework is give them credit for it. The worst thing your parents can do to you when you do something wrong is to not discipline you. The best thing that they can do is discipline you. Why? Because it teaches you something, all right? It teaches you the right thing. These kids, man, these kids, they're just like, well, if they get a zero for not turning in their homework, it'll make them feel bad. It'll make them feel uncomfortable. And we act as if this is a bad thing. No, a punishment of a zero is a great thing because hopefully it will incentivize the kids to do your homework. We don't want you to feel good if you're not turning in homework. We want you to feel bad about it. And in the same way, don't think that just because something makes you feel uncomfortable or bad, that it's a bad thing, okay? And God, even though God is, uh, it might seem like he's absent in your life, it might seem like a really bad time in your life, just know this, God is there, okay? God is always with you, and God has a reason for letting you go through these trials. Here's the last point. This is the last point. Point number three, and it's pretty much this is the title of my message, right? Trials remind us that this is not our home. It's not our home. Let me end by telling you one last story. There's, um, uh, there was a guy who was a uh, Holocaust survivor. He lived in the concentration camps. And um, from what I understand, he was, he was pretty young when he first got there, and then he was a little older when he left. But when he was in these concentration camps, he started to notice stuff. 
And he started to notice that people would survive or not survive based on their level of hope. People have to have hope. I don't know. Pastor Frank says this often. He says, you know, man can live, what, four days without water, but he can live zero days without hope, all right? And, and it's this idea that if you don't have any hope in your life, hope is what keeps you going. Think about this. When you're in, like when you're sitting in school, when I was in school, I always look at the clock, and I'm like, it's almost 3 o'clock. And my hope was that as soon as this class ends, I get to go home. This is great. That was my hope that I hoped in. Imagine that you sat in a class, and your teacher's like, uh, I'm not going to tell you when this class ends. You're just going to sit here forever. And you have no hope, right? You're like, wait a minute. Will it end? Will I be here forever? And you have no hope, right? Well, what, what he noticed is that people in, in these concentration camps, when they would lose hope, they would just give up on life. He said he saw this one guy who um, he just didn't get up out of bed in the morning. The soldiers came in. They said, get up. Get out into the field. We're going to do inspection. And the guy just lay there. He goes, no. And then they came in, and they threatened him. They said, we're going to kill you if you don't get up. And he just goes, no. What's the point? And then they started beating him, and he just goes, no. And then they eventually killed him. And the thing was, he had nothing to live for. Nothing to live for. So there was no hope. Then on the flip side, this guy was talking about, there were people who had hope, and that's the only thing that got them through. But their hope was placed in false things. So what happened is these guys would say, they would say, how are you doing? They're like, I'm okay. I'm just hanging in there. And they said, why? And he goes, well, before I got put in this concentration camp, I was a doctor. And when I get out of here, I get to go be a doctor in my hometown again. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. That's, that's what I'm holding on to. And so they would get out of the concentration camp. They would, get, they would get home, and they said that a lot of these people, they'd go back to their old professions only to find that their towns had been decimated the practice, his doctor practice had been just, it's just rubble in the ground, and there was nothing there for him. The hope that they had put in their job and their homes and stuff wasn't there anymore. So essentially, they were holding on to a fake hope. So when they got out, they got back, they looked, and the, this hope that they had was gone. He said a lot of them went into depression, and many of them killed themselves. They commit suicide. And think about that. Think about that. Their hope was in the wrong thing. Peter, what he's telling these guys is, it goes with this thing here. This is not our home, okay? When you realize that earth, that Columbus, Ohio, like being here, the moment you realize that this is not your home and you realize that as a Christian, our home is heaven, that should give you the best hope. And I'll tell you why. Because now when you go through a tough time, you say to yourself, this is a trial. My hope is heaven, which means I'm not going to face any trials in heaven. You know what that tells me? That your trial is going to end someday. Essentially, you have a three o'clock deadline on this trial, right? You're going to get out of school, essentially, right? So the cool thing about knowing that Jesus is waiting for you in heaven and that you get to go to heaven is that you get the hope of knowing that every bad thing that you're going through right now will eventually end. I met a lady once who was dying of cancer, and I told her, I said, hey, we're praying for you. You know, we're praying that you get healed of this cancer. And she goes, oh, I'll be healed. And I remember stepping back, and I'm like, man, you know, uh, I, I've, met, I've met many people who don't get healed of cancer, and I was trying to, like, kind of, like, get her mind in the right place. Like, what if you don't get healed? And she goes, wait a minute. You realize that if I die of this cancer, I go to heaven, and then I'm healed for eternity, right? And I was like, that's a really good point. I never thought of that before. So, so God heals everybody eventually. If you're a Christian, you know, you get the healing. You might not get healed here on life, but guess what? That's a trial, and it will end. Our hope, our hope is that this is not our home, okay? This is not our home. So, Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you guys, and then I just want you to realize that, you know, there's going to be tough times. If, if you've yet to face a tough time in your life, I say this often, it's coming. Just wait, all right? But when that tough time comes, what are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in things of this world that will fail you? 
like these jobs and these homes that these people in the concentration camp were waiting for? Or is your hope in God, in Jesus Christ, the eternal God that will never fade away, that will never go away, and that will bring you the utmost happiness in your life? Think about that. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you for this day. We thank you so much for everybody that's here. God, this is a, uh, this is a message that I've preached many times before about trials, God, and it seems that when you flip through Scripture, it's, it's, it's a topic that's addressed often. And, and Lord, you know, when we look through First Peter here, we see that um, this is a message that needed to be preached to these people, these Christians in, uh, in these days, Lord, where they're being persecuted for their faith, where maybe it seems to them that you're not there, that you've given up on them. But God, I thank you for this, this epistle from, from Peter, this letter from Peter to these Christians who were dispersed, who felt like exiles and who felt like aliens in their own land, God, um, because of what was happening to them. Lord, I, I, I love the fact that Peter refers to them as people who are not, that this isn't our home, God. And, and my prayer is that we can all feel that same way, that, that, that where we live right now, as Christians, this is not our ultimate home. There's something so much better waiting for us, God. And I pray that that fact alone can help us get through the tough times. It can help us remember that the bad things that we go through are temporary. They're, they're, they're not permanent, God. So God, when we go through these tough times, I pray that we don't blame you. I pray that we don't, I pray that we don't forget that you're there and that we think that you're absent, God, which is just not true. But that we can realize that trials actually mean something. They, they are, are producing in us something. You allow us to go through things to build up our faith, to build up our character. And the moment we realize that, God, the moment, that's the moment that we can just get through anything that heads our way. God, we love you so much, and I'm so grateful for everybody in this room. We love you and praise in your name. Amen.